This episode of The Explainer is supported by Daft Advantage Ads. Selling a home is a huge financial decision, so make sure your property is on daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, what does the Ryan Tuberty payment scandal mean for the future of RTE? The top talent, the director general, the agent, the sponsor, the tripartite agreement and the barter account. All phrases we've become accustomed to in what's been one hell of a few days for RTE. It centres around how auditors discovered that RTE had understated Ryan Tuberty's earnings by €345,000 between 2017 and this year. In March of this year, RTE's highest paid broadcaster announced he would end his run as presenter of The Late Late Show but retain his radio slot. The Director-General, Dee Forbes, was due to end her run as head of the station in July. But few could have forecast the events of the last few days. Dee Forbes was suspended, resigned and has not spoken publicly since. Tuberty's been removed from the airwaves and it's not clear if he's still in contract. RTE management's been hauled over the coals at committee hearings and crucially staff at the station have expressed their anger and frustration at how this could have happened at a time when they were being told to cut their cloth to measure. So today, we're going to look at all of this and try to put a shape on it for you. What exactly happened? How was it uncovered? And what next for RTE and for Ryan Tuberty? And to do this, I'm joined by Ronan Duffy, Assistant News Editor here at The Journal, and also Eileen Cullity, Assistant Professor at the School of Communications and DCU, and Deputy Director of the Institute for Media, Democracy and Society. Thanks so much to both of you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Eileen, truly an extraordinary turn of events. RTE's been making the case for more funding now in recent years. Has the broadcaster shot itself in the foot with this latest scandal? Well, I think we're dealing with two different RTEs now, aren't we? Because there's the the management of RTE, which has definitely shot itself in the foot. It's very hard for that board or executive, but also maybe even the high earners to maintain the credibility about asking for more money. But the organisation they represent is now quite separate, I think, in the public mind from the the staff that work in the RTE. And what they've been doing is demonstrating that they're willing to hold their uh, senior people to account and that they just want to do their jobs and that they've been doing their jobs in very difficult scenarios. So what I'd hope from all of that is that politicians are willing to do the right thing and hold the decision makers to account while also funding the RTE that actually provides the public service. And Eileen, can you give us some background then on the efforts by RTE to reduce their costs over the years? Well, it all comes back to this issue of the license fee not being fit for purpose and successive director generals have been making this case and asking the government for more money or to reform the whole license fee system. And with inaction from the government, that means they've had to initiate cuts on the one hand and then become more commercial and make more money on the other hand. But under D Forbes specifically, so the most recent director general, there have been just waves of cuts that have been quite controversial. So shortly after she joined in 2016, it was announced that RTE wouldn't produce its own children's programming anymore. And there was a lot of anger about that. Because for one thing, RTE have always been very good at children's programming. Most of us have very fond memories of that. But also children's programming kind of gets to the heart of public service. So that was something that was seen as just being uh, anti-public service and very commercial and short-sighted. But then there were proposals to close some of the regional studios, which again kind of goes against the idea of a national broadcaster serving the whole country. 
But then other things made sense, like cutting some of the, the digital stations and then cuts to current affairs, uh, which we've, we've heard the consequences of that. And then, as I said, in parallel, more commercialization, so cheaper light entertainment formats, lots of sponsorship, and even you know the current GAA Go Venture, which is going to make a lot of money for RTE. So RTE may be trying to adjust the way it operated in a changing media landscape. And Ronan, a lot of detail revealed in recent days. Can you tell us when did RTE first discover these issues? I think it's fair to say kind of we were kind of a week into what we might say is the rolling controversy, a week and a day. And two weeks now, we know since Steve Forbes was asked to step down as director general. Um, we don't know exactly when it emerged uh, or how it emerged. What RTE have said as part of this comprehensive statement that everyone was waiting for on Tuesday. They said that it first emerged as part of a routine audit of Ortiz accounts. And they kind of set that date around mid-March. What is kind of unclear at the moment is exactly when did it happen that this issue came out. And that's why it was mentioned yesterday. The earlier it happened in March, it's more possible that Tuppity might have been aware of something. He denies that this was that he knew of this issue when he made the announcement to step down from the Late Late Show. But what we do know is March seems to be the time when it kind of became clear within RTE. That's when they hired Grant Thornton, the accountancy firm, to uh, undertake this external review of their accounts to try and find what the issue was. The initial um, initial extracts from it were published last week, and that's kind of when the controversy kicked off properly. And those dates in in March have been a point of contention in the committee hearings. We'll probably hear more about that in a bit. But if we break it down simply, Ronan, how much was Tuberty earning before these extra payments and how far ahead was he from, say, the other top earners? And well, he was he was paid a lot of money. I mean, that's clear. One thing is clear. He was the highest paid person in RTE, I think, for the for the past decade. Um, And it's it's kind of the big money earners in in RTE. We've heard this phrase a lot over the last few days, the talent as it's referred to, and kind of it was said yesterday by the RT board chair, Shuani Raleigh, that they want to get rid of this term. This term is kind of used for people that who are perhaps live outside of the external pay structures and earn, earn more. Tuberty himself, um, what we know from or- RTUC published the top 10 earners every year. They publish who earns the most within the organisation. Um, but they only publish it a year or two after the, the payment. They, they, that's it. They don't publish it for the current year. They publish it two years previously. So we kind of know the full list from from 2021. What we know from Tuberty over this six year period that has become very, very contentious. What Orti publicly declared to um, the public and indeed to the Oireachtas, which is another important point, was that uh, Ryan earns between 440 to 491,000 euro annually over the course of six year period. So it was up and down during that period, but that's kind of the range we're looking at. Um, the most recent one, we know the full figure for, it was publicly revealed to be 440,000. We now know it was more than that, but the second highest was Joe Duffy with 350,000. So he was about 90,000 ahead of the second highest earner. And that was in the published figures, even before the, the understatement is taken into account. So a huge amount of money being earned and the point has been made in recent days that that's more than the Taoiseach of the country. What was Tuberty earning then after these additional payments rolling on? How much were they worth? Yeah, so over the course of this six year period that I think a lot of the focus is all the focus has been on, he was paid a total of 345,000 more and above what they had previously uh, declared. So that means 
we spoke about the range he, he got over those years. The range was actually 511,000 to 545,000. So he was over 500 grand for each of those years when previously we had believed the number was under 500,000. And that's important because this was at a period, as I didn't mention, when RT has been undergoing this uh, intense cost cutting exercise. His pay didn't decrease over that period. In fact, it kind of increased or stayed, stayed about the same. And Eileen, when you look at these figures and you compare it to other salaries within the Irish media sector, just how much more are people being paid in the commercial sector? Are they competitive rates? Well, the argument from RTE isn't necessarily that they are competitive rates. And like Ireland is a very, very small media market. And if RTE has been struggling with digital transition, so are all of the other media. So I think we can be pretty clear that they're not competitive rates. But the RTE argument has always been much more convoluted. It's that they they need to ensure that people don't go. It's the risk, this perception of a risk that they might go to the BBC or go to some other player. Um, I mean, when I was growing up, you heard a lot about Terry Wogan going to the BBC. But, you know, I'm not a young person and I have no memory of Terry Wogan being on Irish television. So those kind of arguments always seemed uh, a bit weak. So it all makes a lot more sense when you think of it as presenters in primetime slots and that you need to attract advertising for those slots and sponsorship for those slots. And it's about saying, well, it's the presenter that attracts that instead of actually saying it's an RTE primetime slot, it can attract advertising by itself. So the way RTE has conceived and approached the whole thing puts all the power to the agents to say, well, you want my client, so pay more. And that the point was made by the chair herself in the committee this week that RTE was effectively bidding against itself in these salary negotiations. And maybe in the Celtic Tiger times, there might have been threats from the likes of News Talk and, and those in the commercial sector. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. But even so, if there are threats that people will leave, that's not a bad thing. I would say in a functioning media market, people would move and you would get turnover. And in many ways, it's quite bizarre that people could stay in those front positions for such a long time instead of making way and letting new people come along with new ideas, new perspectives. So Ronan, back to you, what did Tuberty say about all of this initially, that he wasn't aware of this or wasn't aware of how it was being accounted for? Yeah, see, this is an aspect for it that's that's kind of interesting as well, because Tuberty is, is a voice that people are used to hearing on the radio every day, used to seeing on the television every week. And he hasn't been on front of a radio or on front of a television screen since all this is happening. What we did hear from him initially, um, the day this was first uh, revealed by Rochi, he kind of came out with a statement, um, I think through his management, in which he said he was surprised by the announcements that made for Rochi. And he said that this is a matter for Rochi and that it was kind of their internal accounting treatment of his payments. And it was essentially nothing, not his problem, nothing to do with him. Now, I think it's fair to say that statement did not go down well with a lot of both politicians and kind of media watchers who kind of saying, I'm not sure it's good enough to say you don't know. It's not your problem when this was published, uh, published when it was publicly available information. Did you not cross reference what you got with what RT published? So the following day, he put out a further statement in which he did say um, he apologized for for not asking questions about his salary. And he says he bears some responsibility for not asking those questions. And he kind of, he wanted to apologize for that. Since that, we haven't heard any official word from Tuberty um, either. There have been some kind of leaks or reports to the media of sources close to him, but nothing official other than that. 
Now, the term barter account is a new one on pretty much all of us as of the last 10 days. Uh, Tuberty was paid, let's say, indirectly through a barter account, Ronan. What is this and are they common? Uh, well, I'm not an accountant, so I'm not going to try and go into details of it. As you said, it's a term we're not at all familiar with. But from what we have learned from speaking to people who are involved in media, uh, especially in advertising, is that they are relatively common. It's the kind of account that's used in advertising so that goods and services can be traded between, say, a broadcaster and somebody who wants to advertise. Let's say, for example, you're a hotel and you want to buy advertising space in RTE. You might pay half of it in, in a fee, so you pay your fee for it. But the other half might be a credit note to say you're, you're owed a certain amount of money. So in that way, you're kind of bartering um, and trading services. And that's kind of how it works. Um, how Tuberty comes into it is that the 150000 additional that he was uh, paid over 2021 and 2022 uh, was paid from this barter account. And what we've seen subsequently um, through the Oireachtas committees, and I think we'll speak about that later, is how else this barter account was used. The term slush fund has been thrown about, and that's kind of where the focus has become. This is the account that was used, perhaps for a legitimate purpose, but there are other things that are perhaps a little bit less legitimate. So these payments then, it has come to light, these payments that weren't essentially declared, how do we know about how the deal was reached in the first place, this tripartite deal that everyone's now hearing about? Well, I think what what, what what you have to remember, and this initially came about at the end of 2019 and 2020, what happened around then was that Tuberty and his agent, uh, uh, Noel Kelly with NK Management, they were essentially looking towards a renegotiation of his contract. He was coming towards the end of one contract. And as part of the contract, he was due a, an end of contract payment. So it was that kind of essentially a loyalty bonus. And if he was to be paid that as he was contracted to receive, it would have made it difficult for Orchie to show that his pay has reduced over that period. Because as we say, they were trying to cut costs. Even Tuberty himself publicly agreed that, you know, it's, it's my part to play with this. What we now know is that there was an agreement reached um, between Orchie, Tuberty and his management and in-kind management and commercial sponsor of the Late Late Show, Renault. They came up with a separate tripartite agreement. Another phrase that people are getting used to to say that Tuberty would be paid 75,000 a year over these years from Renault for a number of corporate events. But the crucial thing here was that Orti agreed to underwrite those payments. So if Renault didn't kind of re-up this agreement, Orti would have to pay it. And uh, because of COVID, essentially that's what happened. And Orti were saddled with these additional payments and they came from the barter account. Now, RTE being a public service broadcaster is answerable ultimately to the government and the, the taxpayer. So we had committee hearings uh, where management were brought in and pretty much hauled over the coals, Ronan. What did we learn at these committees this week? Well, we learned a hell of a lot of the committee hearings. I think there was two days of hearings. We had first we had the, the media committee and yesterday we heard the committee of public accounts. Um, I think it's fair to say the first day people weren't particularly pleased with the answers given by the RTE executives in large part because I think what we have to remember is that Dee Forbes, the former director general, she was due to leave in July anyway, but that has been brought forward and she left earlier this month. She uh, has not appeared before either of the committees um, for two essential reasons. Firstly, because she is no longer the director general. Uh, and secondly, um, the committee sought to compel her to appear anyway, but that was not possible due to health reasons. So. A lot of what we heard during the first day of hearings was the RT executives saying that 
these payments uh, through the barter accounts were made with the okay of D Forbes, the director general, and that essentially nobody else was kind of in the know about how all these payments were made. And that I think caused a lot of disquiet among people to say, first of all, is that credible? And secondly, if it is credible, it's not exactly good corporate governance if one person can make these kind of things. Thinking of selling? Choose a daft advantage ads to guarantee unbeatable visibility, attract more buyers, and get the best price for your home. Ask your estate agent for a daft advantage ad today. And Eileen, did you ever think you'd see scenes like this? I mean, you're probably similar to me. We've seen a few RT scandals over the years, but nothing to this extent. Two excruciating committee hearings this week. I think excruciating is the, the perfect word for it, but also just the maybe the clash between politicians who wanted to be, who many were holding them to account, but also wanted to be seen to hold them to account. And what seems like a line of people who were not used to ever having to answer for themselves uh, and that's what made it quite um, excruciating. So, and it's it's clearly not over. They didn't really satisfactorily answer any questions. Any moment in particular in the committee hearings that stood out for you? Well, as someone from rural Ireland, I have to say that the the great confusion over Matthew McGrath uh, asking about loyalty and the director general misunderstanding that as a question about lying uh, isn't one I'll forget. Who I ask again? Who are you lying to? Who 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 is Moses out? Can I just ask one question? To who are we lying to about what? Lyle to. Lyle. Loyal to. Loyal to. Sorry. Jesus. I didn't accuse right. you of lying. Loyal, loyal, loyal. Well, the absolute number one relationship is with the audience. And Ronan, is there any particular committee exchange that stood out for you this week? I think there was a moment yesterday where uh, Richard Collins, the chief financial officer of RTE, was asked directly by Sinn Féin's John Brady, what does he personally earn? Um, as CFO of RTE, it was a very shocking moment in the sense that you don't really see somebody revealing their own kind of personal finances in a committee like that. In some ways, I felt some kind of personal sympathy for him doing it. But equally, I think it was an example of what politicians were trying to say, that there is a new era of transparency in related to payments in RTE. And this was perhaps the ultimate example of that. For, for the record, how much are you paid as, as chief finance officer? <laughs> I think that's a private matter. You know, I think we're going to disclose our, our okay. we're going to disclose our earnings. We've been sorry, asked to disclose. Sorry, just, sorry, just want to intervene here for a minute. The chair of the board said that all of those figures are going to be published. And given the fact that you're, you know, that you're in the, you're working for a public organisation, I would expect to hear that answer here today. The deputy has asked you, much is your salary? I expect you to, I would expect you to answer that question. I don't know what my exact salary is off the top of my head. Of course, but I can give you. I, no, sorry, I can give you. Sorry, Chief Financial Officer of RT can't tell us what he's paid. Chief Am I supposed to buy that? Chief Financial Officer, just Chief Financial Officer, being asked a question by the deputy who has the floor. Deputy Brady has the floor. What's, well, it's, it's, what's your salary? This is a, a extraordinary. Now it's taken oh, 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 well. over a minute now to get a yeah. very basic answer. I, I, I would have imagined. We have public bodies in here every week who, uh, you know, senior staff, we, we can get the uh, figures for their salaries. No, any problem. RT is, you know, transparency, true transparency. Oh, I have no trust. problem being transparent. True you, transparent and trust. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a very basic question and I expect the answer to it for the members. 
Okay, I, I believe my salary is around 200,000 base salary plus a car allowance of 25,000. It's in and around that sort of okay, thing. Okay, so 200,000 plus a, a car allowance. So. Okay, um, thank you. So Eileen, there's one person really, well, there are, I guess there are three people. There's uh, D Forbes, Ryan Tuberty and Ryan Tuberty's agent. And really, when we look at D Forbes, she was stepping down anyway, but was suspended as director general just before the news broke last week. What is her role in all of this, such as we know? Well, I think it's fair to say in general that D Forbes' tenure as Director General has not been very successful. And that's separate to this current scandal, separate to all the governance issues that need to be still need to be clarified because the executive board and the board are claiming that she had ultimate authority over all of this, which a lot of people find hard to believe. But separate to all of that, she never did a very good job of articulating the point of RTE when she appeared before um, any of the, the Oireachtas committees. And when she was appointed, there were many people who felt that she was a poor choice for public service broadcaster because she came from the Discovery Channel. And the suggestion is that RTE became more commercial under Forbes and that kind of commercial thinking uh, dominated. But for all of that, I mean, it's important to remember that RTE is an old institution and Forbes came into an institution with a culture and with governance structures in place. She didn't create those things from scratch. So I think it's interesting that the, the Labour TD, Alan Kelly, has been asking about RTE records that predate Forbes. And I think when we see those, we might have a different characterization of what the root problem is here. And it's not necessarily just pointing the blame at D Forbes. And do you think, Eileen, it, this is an indication really of a wider identity crisis at RTE that maybe it hasn't managed to live between commercial and public broadcasting? There's that. And I think that, that's a huge issue, this this drive to make money on the one hand. And then, I mean, the way I see it, RTE can't play it both ways. And a lot of industry have been arguing this as well. The commercial sector can be damaged by the fact that RTE artificially drives up the prices. It competes for advertising. But at the same time, RTE itself and people who work in it can't, on the one hand, put on the cloak of public service and you know want to bask in the glory of that while then privately negotiating deals that are highly beneficial to themselves and damaging to the public like that's just not credible and really it's it's long warned of its financial issues and now after this it's clearly going to struggle how is it going to find support uh, where it's going to take a hit to the license fee for starters well the license fee has always like the license fee just has to go anyway like it doesn't. It never made. I'm not sure if it ever made any sense. It certainly doesn't make sense in the media world we live in now. I, like a lot of people, do not own a television. So why would I be paying a television license fee, something tied to a device that's had its day? On top of that, the the fact that people can be sent to prison and have been. I mean, that's that's really stark. People have been sent to prison for not paying uh, the license fee. So Orchi has always been right to put the emphasis on reform of the license fee. But they also they always talked about evasion, that the reason it's not evasion that's the problem, it's relevance. A license fee is not relevance for the contemporary age. And it would be tragic if politicians are allowed to continue not acting or addressing that problem just because of the, the RT governance issues. And Ronan, looking at that aspect, do you think there's a lot of political grandstanding, of course, this week? Is there any political will there to really grasp the nettle on the RTE question when, it, when you're looking at the license fee? Well, I think it's it's a question that's been kind of grappled with for successive governments now. How are we going to reform this funding of public sector broadcasting? And like I said, no one's kind of 
grasp the nettle in that regard. And as Eileen mentioned, um, D Forbes' tenure before this latest scandal was perhaps marked most greatly by her pushing for kind of reform and how we need increased funding or whatever. And I think what we have seen in the last week is we have seen, it's fair to say, certain politicians taking somewhat of a delight in RTE being on the back foot when it's usually RTE putting them on the back foot. And we've seen them say their license fee needs to go, et cetera, et cetera. But what I think what we see here is that, you know, we talk, we hear a lot about how RTE's trust has been damaged um, by this whole scandal. And I, I kind of think sometimes the word trust is what exactly do we mean by that? If if we if we're talking about um RTE's news output, I don't think that's been damaged in any way by what we've seen. In fact, it's been exemplary from RTE newsroom what they've done over the past couple of weeks. What I think we need to talk about when we're talking about trust is the bargain that exists between the public and RTE. And that bargain is that we pay money towards you and you give us value for money. And what we've certainly seen here over the past week is that value for money does not exist. And it does not exist because there is this money that hasn't been, you know, properly accounted for within their accounts. But also, you know, RTE's output is also kind of questioned in terms of value for money. Um, this week, I tried to watch watch back to prime time from Tuesday because it was, you know, a very exciting day. And my Orchie player crashed twice as I was doing it. But, the, you know, the advertising still played. These are kind of issues that people always seize upon when they talk about the value for money issue. And that's, I think, what the what the heart of the trust issue is about. And when you look at that phrase, the top talent, it's the worst. And everyone will be delighted to hear that it's being consigned to the bin. But these people are on extraordinarily high salaries. Ronan, there have been calls for greater transparency around this this week. Are we looking at anyone else being implicated here in this scandal? Well, I think we are. Um, it's inevitable we are going to see um, some some greater transparency. I think it, it came out in the committee yesterday that RTE are going to seek to publish the top 100 earners within RTE. So that would be a massive departure if that came to pass and we saw that kind of level of transparency. I think one of the most extraordinary moments for, for me over the past week was um, Claire Byrne opening her show. I think it was on Monday when she wasn't in her show on Thursday and Friday of the week previous and said that this was, I think certain people were suggesting that is she implicated in this some way is the reason she's not on the air. And she came in and said, no, this was a previous days I've had was my child was attending a dance recital, et cetera. And then she proceeded to reveal her salary to say, listen, I was previously earning 350,000. My TV show no longer in existence. I know around 280,000. And she kind of spoke um, very openly about that. And that began a cascade of Joe Duffy on air, revealed his salary of 351,000. Miriam McCallaghan put out a statement of her own salary. And it was quite extraordinary that these RT figures felt like they needed to openly state what they were earning. But as of yet, um, no other kind of uh, personality has been the payments to no other personality has been implicated in being in any way and um, have, have similar questions over it like, like the Tuberty payments do. Now, it does also bear saying that a lot of these high earners are being managed by the same agent as Ryan Tuberty. And this has all shone a light on the influence of management companies at RTE. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and we've heard a lot about NK management this week. And if anyone wants to find out about NK management, I would Google them and go to their website. And the first thing you will see is <laughs> pictures of about 30 personalities from television. I think you'll recognize them all. So you know, the level of influence has been something that was uh, has been questioned. I think there was a reference yesterday to, to, to a godlike status that these kind of talent agents have with it, within RTE. But I think, as you mentioned as well, I think another thing that's come out from this week is that 
there is various levels within RT and a lot of the ordinary hardworking new staff, for example, are in no way uh, on these kind of salaries and are in fact doing without uh, rather, rather than kind of getting additional payment. So Eileen, Ryan Turberty, he's currently off air. Can you see a way back for him on radio and TV, especially RTE radio or TV after this? And just how important is he for RTE? Well, there's currently a lot of confusion about the the status of his contract and we don't know what all the, the details there, but it's very hard to see him going back into a primetime slot fronting a talk show just simply because that would present far too many opportunities for extremely awkward and difficult moments that bring this scandal and the questions of integrity back up. And because RGE is chasing commercial money, why would advertisers and sponsors want to be associated with that? Over time, though, I think nobody in Irish life is ever down and out. They always manage to get rehabilitated. So I can absolutely think, and Ryan is you know, a very experienced, uh, talented broadcaster. So I imagine we will see him fronting maybe one-off programs on some specialist topics, but it's hard to see him fronting um, a talk show. But I think uh, Ronan made a very interesting point there about uh, trust, you know, and it's this word that we use a lot about restoring trust and do we trust RTE, but RTE is a massive institution, so there's different ways we can trust it. And I think the, the, and any institution, any body in public life needs to demonstrate that they're trustworthy. And what we've seen is the RTE staff absolutely coming out and doing that. Some of the top earners have been trying to do it by publishing their salaries. But when it comes to the organization and the governance body, it's bigger than RTE and it's bigger than the media, because what we have is this parade of public and semi-state bodies with these scandals coming up all the time. I mean, just before RTE were in the, the pack yesterday, the horse racing regulator was there again talking about outrageous uh, exit fees. And so I don't see trust being restored around that very quickly. This speaks to a wider issue around corporate governance in this country for, for state bodies, semi-state bodies. Yeah, and what we're used to, and these stories, they get they get into such intricate details, teasing those things out runs on for a very long time. And I think the public eventually get quite sick of it. So the danger is that what you're left with is just the impression that none of those things are, are trustworthy. Um, and that's, that's bigger than this RTE scandal. And I'm not sure how exactly that is addressed. But what the RGE staff have done by coming out, by the, the new staff and the way they've approached the topic and the staff by highlighting issues is probably the most beneficial thing that has ever happened to RGE because they've clearly demonstrated that they are trustworthy. So Eileen, what type of damage has this caused then to public trust in RTE? Well, I think that's where I'm saying that the, you know, we can separate trust in the institution and then trust maybe in the people who work in it. And if when the new director general comes in, whatever tweaks are made to the governance and we'll be told about new rules and new faces and all of that, I think not sure many of us will know what to do with that. But if we hear that the RGE staff and some of the unions, you think of someone like Emma Kelly very passionately describing people not having chairs in the newsroom, like functioning chairs or a regional correspondent not having a camera. You know, if we hear improvement coming from the those NUJ representatives, well, then we might think, well, OK, it sounds like things have improved. And Ronan, what else do you think RTE now needs to tell us? Well, I, th- I think what, one of the, what we're going to see over the next period is that I think it was mentioned during the uh, pack yesterday that there um, Eileen mentioned how Alan Kelly had mentioned that there were documents over the past 20 years they're looking for they want previous accounts um, from how this barter account was used so I think we're going to need to see 
that level of transparency from RTE to, to show what this money has been spent on. We also, I think, are looking towards uh, Minister Catherine Martin has uh, begun the process of having a review of governance and culture within RTE. We're yet to kind of see exactly what the terms of that. It's not been finalised yet. But RTE are going to have to cooperate that to, with, to an amazing degree, I think, to satisfy both the public and the government. And from that, you know, we may see some kind of reform of RTE. I think Eileen has mentioned the, the problems that are, are inherent when you have a commercial arm and a public arm. I mean, you know, us as journalists, sometimes we, we're looking for freedom of information requests from RTE and we're saying, oh, that's a commercially sensitive thing. So, you know, it's relied on the commercial argument when it's needed and also the public broadcasting argument is relied on when it's needed. And I think that separation either needs to be made clear or needs to be done away with. Finally, Eileen, we mentioned earlier, I know that RTE's challenge has been trying to live in that space between public and commercial broadcasting. But is RTE viable in the long term or does it need to be completely overhauled from the ground up? I would say yes, because it just isn't viable long term. Uh, RTE as it currently is, isn't viable long term because the audience it caters to is aging and it is not doing any of the things that might make it relevant for a younger audience. And just very simply, like if you wanted to to serve the audience now, you wouldn't start by setting up a big TV studio for radio and television based in Dublin. You would be thinking digital all the time. And then if we think the whole media market has changed because of new technologies, we've more access to content and information than ever before. So really what we need is a rethink of how our public interest needs met. And it's not just RTE that does that. There's lots of great work done by other media. So what would be the role for funding somebody like uh, RTE? And unfortunately, I don't know if the political will was never there to even address the license fee issue I'm not sure if it's there to actually tackle this this big issue. Yeah, I think it was Richard Boy Barrett who made the point in committee that he didn't want to rely on Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg for his news. And that is crucial to remember in all of this. Well, look, I have a sense that we will be returning to this topic in the near future. So thanks so much to Ronan and Eileen for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of The Explainer was supported by Daft Advantage Ads, the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Looking to get the best price for your home? Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today. Thanks again to Ronan Duffy, Assistant News Editor here at The Journal, and Eileen Cullity of DCU School of Communications for joining us today. You've been listening to The Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan and executive producer Sinead O'Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.